Alrighty, let's turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter number 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 1. Of course, uh, Pastor Tyler and basically the whole staff is at youth camp right now. I'm the Lone Ranger in the office. I guess me and Brother Kay, uh, he's just across the way, so it feels like I'm the Lone Ranger. Uh, but you pray for our teenagers and uh, the various adults that are going with them. Uh, they are in Quaw, Paul, Oklahoma. And they are hearing the Bible preached tonight, actually, uh, by Michael Jones. And then Pastor Tyler and some of our musicians are leading the worship there. And uh, obviously, at church, I would just ask you to really make that a matter of prayer the next few days. Uh, they just have tonight's service. Uh, I believe they have some morning services as well. And then tomorrow night's services, and they're done. And they're on their way back. And so just pray that uh, those teenagers would do business with God. And uh, pray for the counselors, too. You know, we've had counselors saved at camp and uh, changed by the Word of God. And so uh, we don't want to overlook them either. And so ask that, that God would do a work in hearts there. And uh, I know many of you invested to help send those teenagers to camp. And so you're, in a very physical way, invested in that. But I'd ask all of you to invest in that venture through prayer and uh, ask God to do a great work there. And then, of course, they'll, we'll send our juniors off to camp our uh, younger kids, next Tuesday, and so pray for that. And so because of that, Pastor Tyler, he's going to head off to camp with the juniors for just for a few days, um, be with Kevin and, and th that group of kids and invest in them. I think it's a good time for him as a pastor. A lot of his ministry here focuses on adults. So this is kind of one time he can really focus in on the kids and the teens. And so he's asked me to take the next three Wednesday nights and uh, do a series. And uh, so we'll talk about that in just a minute. I want to ask you this question to open up the service tonight. I want you to think about this. What do you think is the greatest need of our church? Think about the stage of life we're in as a church. Or maybe I might ask it in a more personal way. If you were to boil down your spiritual needs, what is the greatest spiritual need that you have as a follower of Jesus? There's a lot of ways we could answer that, right? I mean, for a church, we could talk about, hey, uh, maybe we could have more effective programs. Maybe our church or you as an individual would need to grow in your zeal and in your passion for reaching people with the gospel. Perhaps, and we, we talked about this just a few months ago, it would be a more dedicated effort toward world missions. I mean, there are people, billions of people around the world who need the gospel, and so no doubt we could feel like we could do as much as we need to do as a or as we want to do as a church and still feel like there's still more work to do. We could talk about our Bible reading. And even just bringing up those two words probably reminds some that I need to read my Bible a little bit better, a little more consistently. Perhaps as a church we, you know, we focus on a connection. We talk about our connection groups and maybe that would be your answer. Our church needs to work uh, as much as we can on having more connection, more authenticity in our relationships. And as good as all those are, I mean, none of those are bad things. And as important as all those are, I would argue that all of those things probably are subservient to what we're going to talk about the next three weeks. If I depict the greatest need of our church, of my life, of your life as a Christian... Here's what our greatest need would be. To know God deeper through prayer. If you had to pick one, 
I would probably pick that one because if you're knowing God more deeply, you're going to serve God more passionately in the other areas. And so we could focus on the external things, the programs, the missions, the evangelism, the Bible reading. But if your desire is above all to know Jesus Christ and to spend time with him in prayer, that's going to leak out in other areas of life. I love what uh, J.I. Packer said. I believe this will be on the slide. This is a convicting quote. He said, prayer is the measure of a man spiritually in a way that nothing else is. You know, as Christians, we try to measure ourselves spiritually, don't we? A lot of times we look to a lot of external things. We look to our church attendance. We look to our ministry involvement. We look to our offerings and to our giving. We look to our Bible reading habits. We look to our care for people. We look to maybe our passion for seeing people saved. But church, let me ask you this. If the only way we could measure your walk with Jesus was by your prayer life, how would you measure up? How would you measure up? Well, if you're like me, you'd probably not measure up as well as you'd like. Can I get a witness? There's five people. The rest of you, I hope, by the end of this introduction, will get on board because here's the reality. I think, I think it's true, church, that all of us need to grow in our prayer life. All of us do. From the oldest church member in the room to the youngest. All of us need to grow in our prayer life. And here's what I want to do. Over the next three weeks, I want us to study something that I personally have been challenged by. And that's this, Paul's prayers. I want us to study Paul's prayers. You know, when you look at the Bible... There's a lot of places you can go to learn about prayer, isn't there? Not too long ago, we looked at some of David's prayers, didn't we? We looked at the series called Praying Through, and, and there's a lot you can learn from that series. It'll be on our podcast, on our website. I'd encourage you, if you're newer to our church, to go back and listen to that series by Pastor Tyler called Praying Through. And what we learned from that, we, get, we got another kind of angle on prayer, didn't we? where David was so raw and real with God in his prayer closet, and he felt like he could bring anything in his life to God. There's something we learn about uh, uh, prayer from that series, don't we? Or we could go to the New Testament, and we could look at Jesus' teaching on prayer. And as he taught his disciples, they asked him, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And we could study that passage out, and we can learn a lot about prayer from there. But here's what I want you to understand. There's no passage in the Bible that's comprehensive about prayer. What I find is that as I study different sections of the Bible that talk about prayer, it's like they add more depth to my prayer life. Are you following me? That, that I could study praying through, and, and it helps me, and it adds another angle and another understanding to prayer, and I could study what Jesus teaches, but those things alone won't give me a comprehensive view on prayer. So that's why the next three weeks, I want us just to hone in on what Paul prayed. Because I think we can learn something from the prayers of the Apostle Paul. And so here's what we're going to do over the next three weeks. I mean, there's probably 10 prayers of Paul recorded in the New Testament. We're going to just study it thematically. And we're going to just study Paul's prayers and look at the three main themes of Paul's prayers. If you were to look in every book that Paul wrote, you would find these three, three themes show up somewhere in his prayers. And so week one tonight, we're going to talk about the first theme is that Paul had gratitude for spiritual progress. Next week, we're going to talk about how Paul's prayers had a passion for spiritual growth. And then the last week, 
uh, two weeks from now, we're going to talk about how Paul prayed for success in God's ministry. And here's my hope. I hope that as we finish up this three-week little mini-series, that it'll just add another layer of depth to your prayer life. Just another layer of depth to your prayer life. Tonight, what we're going to focus on in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter number one, we're going to focus on that first theme that I mentioned, and it's gratitude for spiritual progress. I mean, if you've read the New Testament at all, you understand that Paul opened up nearly every letter of his with thankfulness, didn't he? I mean, every single one of them, it seems like Paul was thanking God for something. But I want you to understand this. That wasn't just like a literary tactic. That wasn't Paul just sucking up to people he was about to, you know, preach hellfire and brimstone to. Paul was legitimately thankful for these people and his prayers when he prayed to God alone, when he wasn't writing a letter about what he prayed, his prayers were filled with gratitude for spiritual progress among God's people. I want you to look in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 1, and I want you to look at verse, just verses 3 through 5. And I want to show you just the three things that Paul was thankful for as he prayed for God's work in the Thessalonian church. I want you to look at verse number 3 where he begins his prayer. He says this, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, meaning as it's appropriate. Here's the first, first reason he thanked God. Because that your faith groweth exceedingly. So here's the first thing Paul thanked God for in his prayers. He thanked God for their growing faith. He thanked God for their growing faith. Look at verse number three. He says, Because your faith groweth exceedingly. Now, Paul's not talking about the fact that they got saved. That had happened quite a bit earlier. Here's what Paul's saying. As I look at your life, because he, he had a pastoral concern for these people. He says, I look at your life. I notice that your faith is growing exceedingly. I notice that there's, a, there's progress in your life and that there's an increase in trust and reliance upon God. Now, I don't know how that would have looked like other than just kind of reading between the lines in the epistle of 2 Thessalonians. But I imagine, like the Bible says in other places, that their faith was growing because their relationship with the Word of God was growing. Are you following me? What does the Bible say? That faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, right? And so faith is linked to the Word of God. And so Paul was watching these believers that he was kind of distanced from, right? He was all around the known world at the time, ministering to different churches. And he began to realize that these Thessalonian believers, what little bits they had, their relationship with God's word was growing. But here's the other thing. It leaked into their personal lives. Because these people did not have an easy life living out the Christian life. You're gonna, you read later in 2 Thessalonians, there were some of them who legitimately, not, not because, oh no, you know, layoffs and I'm too lazy to get another job. No, no, no. These people legitimately had no way to make a living because the people who knew them before they accepted Christ would not give them a job after they accepted Christ. That's a tough go. That's a tough go. And here are these people and they're trying to live out their Christian faith. And Paul says, I, I watch you as you're going through these trials and I see in your life that while you're going through hard times 
And it would be easy for you to look inward or it'd be easy for you to look at other people and say, you know what, I'm gonna make it through this trial because of me or I'm gonna make it through this trial because of him or her because they're financially supporting me. No, no, no. He looked at their life and he saw that their faith and their reliance upon God was growing. And I, I should hope to think that that's what God would be doing in every family present in these chairs, that as you're hearing the word of God, as you're listening to God's word, your faith, your trust, your reliance upon God would be growing. But Paul thanked God for this in other letters. I'm not going to have them on the screen, but I want to read them to you. In Colossians 1.4, he said this, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1 says this, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love on all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And then in Romans 1.18, he says this, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Paul had a habit of looking at the people he ministered to and observing when their faith was growing. But here's the second thing Paul was thankful for. He was thankful for their abounding love. Paul was thankful for their abounding love. Look at verse number three one more time. At the beginning, he says, we are bound to thank God for you. Thank God always for you, brethren. Now skip down to the end of the verse. Because that your faith grows exceedingly and the charity, or we could say love, of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. That word aboundeth is not really a word we use a lot, but, but it, it, it comes from the word that we would use a lot more often in our day, abundance. So here's what Paul is saying. He says, I'm observing your life and I'm noticing that there's an abundance of love, an abundance of love. But did you notice where that love was directed? You look at the verse in verse three, it says, every one of you all I believe it says, toward each other. Yep. Every one of you all toward each other. So here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, I know your church is filled with a lot of different people. I like what one preacher says. He says, the gospel light attracts some strange bugs. <laughs> Paul, Paul says, there's a lot of different personalities in the Thessalonian church. Just like there's probably a lot of different personalities in the fellowshipping Baptist church. That was my Greek attempt at fellowship. Uh, well, koinonia, yeah, that would be the Greek way, right? That, that would be the same thing we could say about our church, right? You could look at the church of Thessalonica, there would be folks from a Jewish background. There'd be folks from a Greek background. There'd be people who had a really intense, uptight personality. And then there would be the laid back, happy-go-lucky, carefree people. There, there would be people that came from a background where they were persecuted heavily once they accepted Jesus Christ. And then there would be people who had lots of family members who got on board and were following Jesus. There were people who were very blunt and there are people who are very passive. Are you getting the point? There are a lot of different people that make up God's churches. And as Paul looked at this church, he said, you would have the tendency to push each other away. You'd have the tendency to form cliques and divisions among you like some of the other churches Paul ministered to, like the church at Corinth. But when he looked at the Thessalonican church, he said, I thank God because I look at your church and you are abounding in love. There's an abundance of love. Now we talk about love a lot around here, right? Yep. Hashtag liberal love. 
We talk about it in an external sense, but, but church, let us not forget this. Liberal love should start in the church. That we ought to love other brothers and sisters in Christ, that our greatest obligation as far as love and care and support is to the people within these walls, but then right after that to the people outside of these walls. And that's what was happening in the Thessalonian church. There were people in their church who were so destitute financially that they had to financially support other members of the church. And it wasn't just like, well, you know, we'll help them out for a month or two while they, you know, go on a job search website and find a job. No, no, no. Everywhere these people went, they couldn't make a living because they were Christians. And actually, Paul wrote to them because some of these people were actually getting taken advantage of by fellow church members. And some of these more wealthy believers didn't really know how to handle that because they just had a generous personality. And so Paul looks at them and says, I thank God because when other churches would be tempted to be divided, to be spiteful, to be hateful, to be mean because of their differences, I look at God's people and I see what God wants us to be. He wants us to be first and foremost loving. What did Jesus say? He said this, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love, don't stop there, toward one another. Jesus said, you want to know the mark of a true disciple? It's how that disciple loves other disciples. And Paul said, when I look at the Thessalonian church, I look at you and I see people who are abounding in love. But I want you to look at verse number four and five. I want you to see the third thing Paul was thankful for. He was thankful for their perseverance through trials. Look at verse number four. So that we ourselves glory in you. That word glory in you would be like a a parent bragging about their kid. We glory in you, in the churches of God. Now pay attention to this. Why? For your patience, we would use the word endurance, your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. Verse number five, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, as I look at your church, as I look at these believers that, that I led to the Lord, that I invested in your life early on in your walk of faith, he says, I look at a lot of you and I see that you're undergoing some of the most severe and painful trials of your life. But when a lot of believers would go through difficulties and be tempted to give up, I look at a church that instead of giving up on God is enduring and is maintaining their faith in God. Even when people are threatening your life, when people are threatening your livelihood, I look at you and I see you're persevering through it. And Paul was so proud he literally, I mean, just picture this. He says, we glory in you. Now, if you ever met a grandparent, that's just a tad bit too proud of their grandkids. Like, just, just a little, like, okay, lay off the grandkid talk. Let's move on to normal topics of conversation, right? That's how Paul, I mean, I'm just imagining he goes to other churches like, man, I got to tell you about that Thessalonian church. Boy, they're going through the fire right now. But I just want to tell you that while they're going through the fire, they're enduring with patience and with faith. 
And that, verse number five, is basically saying this. When I see believers that are going through difficulty and they don't give up, here's what that says to me. Those are authentic believers. And so when judgment day comes and when they stand before God, they will not face his judgment. They will face his reward. They will go to heaven because there's, there's fewer signs of a true believer other than the fact that they will endure the toughest of times and still hold on to their faith. And Paul's sitting here looking at these uh, Thessalonian believers and thinking, man, this is awesome. And he's glorying in them. He's bragging about them to the other churches because Paul is just so overwhelmed with how awesome God's work in their life is. He's glorying in them. But let me ask you this, church. We talk about what Paul glories in. Here's what we learned from Paul, and here's the question I want to ask you tonight. What do you glory in? What stirs your heart up so much that you can't help but talk about it with other people? Pay attention now, because here's what we learned from Paul's prayers. Here's the first thought I want to give you tonight, that if we're going to look at Paul's prayers, and we're going to say, what can we learn from this? What can I take away from my prayer life? Here's what I look in this passage, and I see that what we value should match what God values. I'm going to say that one more time. What we value should match what God values. Here's Paul, and he's glorying in these believers, and he's bragging about them, and he just can't help but talk about it. When was the last time there was something in your life that you just couldn't help but talk about it? You want to know what I just can't help but talk about? I made a controversial decision between me and Bradley Klowski. I bought a house that has a big backyard. I bought a riding mower. I'm never, ever turning back Fellowship Baptist Church. I glory in that Hustler Raptor X. I am so happy that the days of pushing a lawnmower in the life of Mike Collins are forever over. I just couldn't find enough people to tell about it. There's a lot of things that come up in our life that we glory in, that we're excited about, that we're proud of, that we're thankful for. But I would venture to say, church, that sometimes what you're thankful for may not always match the highest priorities on God's list. Because here's what's true. What you're thankful for reveals what you value. You want to know why I'm thankful for my Hustler Raptor? I do not value mowing the grass. <laughs> I don't value my allergies flaring up. You want to ask me, what are you thankful for about Shelby? If I told you that answer, it would reveal what I value about my wife. If I asked you, hey, what are you thankful for right now? Now, you wouldn't say this now, but maybe two, three weeks ago, you said, man, I'm thankful for this nice weather, right? You probably value being outdoors. But here's what I learned from Paul that challenges me, is that when we look at the prayers of Paul, what did Paul give gratitude for every single time? Now, Paul had some financial blessings here and there, right? He wrote about in the book of Philippians. He said, I know how to both be abased and to abound. Paul's saying, I've had some decent financial seasons in my life. And I've had some not-so-decent financial seasons in my life. But when Paul wrote about his gratitude, what did he always talk about? He talked about spiritual progress in the lives of people. You know why? Because that's what he valued. 
And God forbid that my attachment to worldly things, to things that when my life ends will not go with me to heaven, they will not last for an eternity. God forbid that I'm so thankful for those things that I never think about what God is doing in the lives of other people. Are you following me, church? That, that if all we're thankful for, if the only thing you're thankful for is material things and things that will not last for an eternity, church, I'm just gonna be honest with you. I'm challenged by the prayers of Paul to say, that's a problem. That maybe you're not as concerned about the souls of people as God wants you to be. Or as mindful of it. But we look at the prayers of Paul and we see that his number one concern was eternal things. Sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? I love, a, we, we heard uh, Brother David Harris preach this on Sunday night. He said in Colossians 3, 1, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And Jesus taught in Matthew 6, 19 through 20, he says, Lay not for yourselves up treasures on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He says, don't focus on things that are going to rust. They're gonna end up in a junkyard. They're gonna end up in a shredder or a trash can. No, no, no. Let the things you value be the things that last forever. And there's nothing that lasts longer than the souls of people. There's nothing that lasts longer than the souls of people. What if the progress God made spiritually in our church was determined by the amount of praise we gave him for it? What if the only spiritual progress God made in your life was proportionate to the praise you gave God for the spiritual progress he made in others? My guess would be is it wouldn't nearly be enough. Are we going to be honest? Why? Because the truth is sometimes in the hierarchy of our values that what we value up here probably doesn't match what God values up here. And I'll even just go one step further that probably the reason why Paul was thankful for spiritual progress in the lives of people is ultimately, here's, here's the truth. Paul's life was heavily invested in spiritual progress. And I, listen, this is just as easy for me as it is for probably anyone else. And I, I work in the ministry, but I can get caught up in the whirlwind of things that seems so temporal. But, but let me remind you that in every temporal activity God has you involved in, whether it be your job or whether it be your parenting, and it's just the everyday activities of being a mom or being a dad, can I remind you that in every temporal activity you're involved in, if you just take a little bit of extra intentionality, there are eternal priorities all around you. There are kids who watch you, mom, and how you handle your daily life. And let's not forget that there's a discipleship class at Fellowship Baptist Church called First Steps, but there are a lot more lives being discipled day after day by caring moms and caring dads in our church. And sometimes it's so easy, isn't it, parents, to get caught up in the day-to-day chores. Oh, another diaper. Oh, another meal. But don't forget that there is eternal progress that if you just focus on it for a minute, God wants you to make eternal impact, not just make a meal for your kid, but make an impact on your kid. A lot of us get lost in the whirlwind of our job. 
And if we, you look at our lives, we go to work, we do our job, we do it well, and we leave and come home and we invest in our family. But, but church, can I just remind you, I know we talk about this a lot, but when you go to work, when you go to the store, when you go to a club, when you go to some other hobby of yours, don't forget God has you there for an eternal purpose. And that what you value should match what God values. That God didn't put you at your job just to make a paycheck, though that's part of the reason he put you there. God put you at your job to make an eternal impact. God didn't put you on a nonprofit board or group or in a volunteer opportunity just to serve our community. No, that's great, but God put you there to make an eternal impact. And Paul, the reason he was so thankful for spiritual progress is because Paul was always looking to make a spiritual impact. He always was. But then we could look at that and say, man, that's great. I'm glad Paul sees spiritual progress. But when I look around at the people in my life, when I look at my kids sometimes, there's a lot of work to do. Somebody give me a witness. I don't feel progress some days. Here's what I learned from Paul. This speaks to me. Is this, that the basis for Paul's praise was spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection. It was spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection. You know, Paul was about to write a whole letter about how they could get better in their walk with the Lord. (laughs) But he still stopped. And he said, I thank God. And and it's not even like he's undershooting it. Did you notice all the adverbs? I thank God that your faith groweth exceedingly. That your love grows, is abounding. And that you're persevering through trials and I'm bragging about you to other churches. Paul wasn't, here's why. Paul wasn't just laying it on to flatter them. No, Paul was genuinely grateful for what God was doing in their life because Paul didn't have a higher standard than God. Paul was just thankful God was doing something in their life. And I think sometimes we look at the lives of other believers in our church. We look at people we lead in a connection group or kids who are in our Sunday school class or our own children in our home. And sometimes we won't give praise. We won't stop and be thankful for what God's doing in their life because our standards are just too high. They're just too high. Because if God has placed you in leadership over people, God has given you a God-given task to take them to the next step. And so sometimes as spiritual leaders, as people investing in, in young lives and in other believers, we think, oh man, there's so much work to do, but we never stop and think, wow, they've made some spiritual progress. I may not see spiritual perfection, but man, if I just stop and look at their life, I see spiritual progress. I want you to do this for the remaining two to five minutes of the message. If you're not already taking notes, I want you to pull out your phone or a notebook, and I want you to just write down the names of some people that God has allowed you to touch in their life that you just want to thank God for tonight, that he's making a difference in their life. And here's my challenge to you, church, that if you look at the people you're leading in a connection group, We don't have to wait until they get all the way to the destination and be thankful for God's work in their life. No, no, no. God, hey, hey, listen. God will not be done with them until they reach eternity. God's always got some work to do. And by the way, he's got some work to do in your life. But when you look at the lives of people 
And if all you see is just a little bit of progress, that is enough to give God thanks. It's enough. Or maybe I'll just flip it and and turn it on you. When was the last time you gave God thanks for what he's doing in your life? You say, man, I can't think of anybody. Well, maybe, uh, just be as kind and as honest as I can be, if you can't stop and say, man, I'm thankful for what God's doing in this person's life or this person's life, maybe you're not as connected to the body of Christ as God wants you to be. Maybe you're not as invested in other people's spiritual journey as God wants you to be. You say, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a connection group leader. I'm not a Sunday school teacher. Well, let me just remind you that the last time I checked, when God said provoke one another unto unto love and good works, he didn't give that to ministry people. He didn't give that to Sunday school teachers. He gave that to every single blood-bought believer in Jesus Christ. He said, every single one of you, if you have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, it is your God-given responsibility to provoke other believers to love and good works. And when you are invested in provoking people, you will also see progress and give God praise. You'll see it. And so parents, your kid is probably a piece of work, just like you say. But God is doing something in their life if you just stop and take a look and realize God will never get them to spiritual perfection on this side of heaven. But it would do you good. I said it would do you good to stop and say, you know what, God, I'm thankful for the progress you've made. What type of progress? Well, type of progress Paul praised God for. Growing faith. Growing love. What about perseverance through trials? Do you know some believers who are persevering through trials? That is a work of God in their life. Hey, listen, that's not something they muster up. That is God at work in their life. And if God has done that, I want you to look at verse number three and notice something that I looked over just a little bit earlier, but I want you to see this. Paul begins his prayer and he says this, we are, what's the next word? Bound. We are bound to thank God always for you. You know what that word bound means? It's a financial term. It it means I'm indebted to you. It means I have an obligation that if I were not to follow through with it, there would be a deficit in our relationship. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying when God does work in people's lives, I am required and obligated to give God praise for it. I'm indebted to God. He says, I'm giving praise to you, not just because I'm really excited about what God's doing, but if I didn't do it, I wouldn't be doing justice to what God has done in my life. I think sometimes we forget to stop and thank God for what he's doing in the lives of people. And we'll spend more time on this next week. But, but you're going to look at Paul's prayers and you realize one of the reasons Paul gave praise to God and had gratitude for spiritual progress is because Paul was so heavily invested in prayer but for seeing people's spiritual growth. And so when Paul was praying for these believers to grow in their faith and grow in their love and grow in their perseverance through trials, he couldn't help but thank God when he saw God do it. And so every week, here's what I want to do. I want to give you a prayer challenge. And as Miss Kay comes and plays the piano, 
what I want us to do as a church, just kind of like the Praying Through series, is I want us to spend time specifically in prayer responding to the message that we heard, responding to what, what we learned from Paul's prayers. And I, this is going to stretch you a little bit, church, but this is why we study the Scripture, isn't it? Because we want the Scripture to stretch us. We want to pray in ways that we're not used to praying. And so here's the challenge tonight. I want you to give God praise specifically for the spiritual progress he's making in the lives of people you know and are invested in. I want you to give God praise for your spiritual progress and for the spiritual progress in the lives of those you love. Why? Because you are bound. You are bound by God to give him thanks. When God has a work of grace going on in someone's life, you are obligated to do it. And then here's what I want you to do. I think sometimes we don't do this enough for fear of it coming across as flattery or being awkward. But I want you to notice that Paul didn't just privately pray these things to God. He gave God praise, but he also let the Philippians or in the Thessalonians know, I'm thankful that God is doing this in your life. And I've observed that in your life. And I'm grateful for what God is doing in your life. And I want to challenge you, church. I, I, don't, I don't think you realize how meaningful this would be to some people, that if you see God working in their life, even if it's just a little bit of progress, that if you were to reach out and say, you know what, I just want to thank God for what he's doing in your life. I've noticed you've been more faithful to our connection group lately. I just want to thank God. I know you're going through a really difficult time. I know your health battles lately are just so intense. And I just want you to know I thank God for how you've persevered, how you've been faithful to him, how you've had a good spirit and a good countenance. I just want to thank God for that and just want to let you know about that. Hey, I just want to let you know that I've sensed that you have a growing care and love for people and that I've noticed how you've made people feel welcome in our church and you go out of your way to welcome people and let them feel loved and appreciated. I just want to let you know I thank God for that and I appreciate you doing that in our church. So that's, that's a little bit odd. Well, I think Paul recorded it for us to learn, didn't he? And that if we're going to live out and have a care and concern for other believers like Jesus had and like one of his apostles had, man, I hope that you and I could grow in our prayer life and have that same type of concern like we see in the life of Paul. Let's stand together. I'm going to invite you to come to